2 Corinthians chapter 10. So uh, Sunday we looked at verses 3 through 5. Um, that spiritual war that takes place and just a great reminder that we don't, uh, though we walk according to the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh and our weapons of our warfare are not carnal ones. It's not the, the Glock, Glock for the flock, you know, as uh, Pastor Ken Graves, you know, packs to church, you know, to protect the church, uh, the Glock for the flock. Helpful, but that's not the true weapon of our warfare. Uh, you know, it's not the grenade launcher, it's not the M1 Abrams tank, you know, uh, the Apache helicopter, those are weapons of the flesh, you know, the, the real effective weaponry for the Christian um, is prayer, uh, earnest, fervent, heartfelt prayer, um, that is an offensive weapon, the weapon of a Christian is the word of God, which is that double-edged sword that Hebrews speaks about, uh, the word of God, the, the same sword that Jesus has out of his mouth in Revelation 19, where he conquers the armies that would rise up against him and against the holy city. Um, uh, the, the weapon of our warfare uh, is opening up our mouth and sharing the gospel. It, it comes from a heart that has had feet uh, prepared with the gospel of peace. And those are offensive weaponry that we've been given that we studied on Sunday out of Ephesians 6. And um, there's also defensive armor that we've been given. And hopefully you've just this week been uh, just re-cultivating, re-digging out the old wells, you know, of, um, of disciplines that God's called us to, of putting on the armor of God. And I've had to just, you know, humble myself and repent from past, you know, pride and uh, just go to it with my family and praying over the armor and not just throwing it on, but just meditating on it as I'm putting it on. And um, those have been like really great times with my family this week, putting on uh, the armor and uh, talked, uh, talked tonight to a fellow on the phone who's just, you know, having a horrific time in his marriage right now. And he was here on Sunday and I just said, have you been putting the armor on? Nope. It's just as simple as that. I'm like, man, got to put the armor on, man. We, this, is, this, this war is not a fleshly war. We think it is, and it's so tricky because it, it causes us to think that it is because it's just right there in front of us, and there's flesh and bone stuff. But that's not the, the core of it. The core of it is spiritual stuff. So I just hope that, uh, like myself, you guys have been growing in um, just putting the armor on again using the weaponry uh, that he's given us. So um, all of that comes from a context of a, of, a, of a battle that Paul's going through that, that has faces and it has personalities and there's names and there's that one guy that Paul might refer to a few times. There's, there's you know, the, the heartache of, tough conversations and face-to-face confrontations and, and, you know, that it's raw in Paul as he writes this book of 2 Corinthians. And, and, you know, he begins to almost shift focus of who he's communicating to by chapters 10 through 13. Um, and it seems that there's some more pointed dialogue with those people who, you know, you would call false 
apostles, um, guys that are peddling uh, something that's not truth. Uh, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. And he kind of calls them out uh, from time to time through these last three chapters here. And so, um, but in that, he wants them to know that, you know, the, the war that's going on, I'm, I'm waging it in the heavens. That's really happening. Um, but even then, it might be manifesting itself through some pretty strong, severe conversations that Paul's um, saying in chapter 10 and chapter 13 that they'd be going through. So uh, verse 10 uh, says, uh, chapter 10, verse 1 says, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. So he just says, man, I, I want to follow Jesus in the way I'm uh, dealing with you guys. Um, I'm coming in humility. I'm coming in meekness. And meekness speaks of um, bridled strength and controlled strength, like a horse or a stallion that has so much strength and so much power, literally horse power. And yet when you put that bridle in its mouth and you, you, know, you get on top of it and you use the reins, uh, he comes under control of the rider. So uh, it, it's not a green broke horse that's being spoken of. It's a controlled strength. And, and Paul says, man, I've got apost- um, apostolic authority. And, you know, I could just go bouncing off with it. But I'm coming in the meekness of Christ. And the gentleness speaks of what's being manifested in that meekness. You know, uh, meekness, it's, it's the internal and then the gentleness is what's showing on the, the outernal, right? Uh, just as he says to the Thessalonians that in his relationship with them, he was like um, a nursing mom with a newborn baby. That's how he treated the Thessalonians. And he, would, he was jealous for them with a godly jealousy. And you know, Paul, that that was the same tenderness that he had uh, towards the Corinthians, and so he said, um, when I'm present with you guys, I'm lowly among you and I'm absent and you get my letters and you get my messages from my messengers uh, and you know that I'm bold and I'm strong when I'm exhorting you from a distance. Verse two, but I beg you that when I'm present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us if, as if we walked according uh, to the flesh. And so um, if you just flip over to chapter 13, verse 10, <clears throat> says, Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. You know, the message that these guys were given the Corinthian church over there was, um, you know, Paul is not all that and a bag of potato chips, you know. But the truth is, he was. <laughs> he was all that and kettle chips. I mean, he was sea salt and vinegar, man. He, chapter 13, verse 10 tells us that he had apostolic authority that was a strong arm that you didn't want to mess with. I mean, it was something that we don't see today to the same degree as, as uh, that was among the apostles back then. 
And you don't want to mess with an apostle of the Lord Jesus as he is um, being that foundation, Ephesians says, that the Christian faith is built upon. You don't want to be one of those guys. And so he's trying to reason with them, like, I don't want to use the sharpness, you know, I've been given, having been anointed, having been commissioned by Jesus himself uh, against some of those who think that we are just fleshly in our walk with the Lord. Uh, We have a very spiritual authority and ministry going on here. And that's when he gets into verses 3 through 5, which we won't spend a lot of time on tonight. But he says, for though uh, we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Um, And so again, that that quote from Sunday, every Christian has a walk uh, and every Christian has a war, uh, a battle that they fight in. And and better yet, that the Lord fights for them with the weapons that he's given them. As um, verse four will, uh, will end up saying that those weapons are mighty for God. He finds them powerful for his own use, for pulling down strongholds. So um, the war is really ultimately uh, the Lord's. But um, just to kind of get things in, um, just to learn and grow in this, um, Ephesians 6 was a, a text that we went to, and verses 1 through 3 nearly echo these verses. But Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote some incredible books on Ephesians 6. And uh, let's see if I can get out of here. You have the quote up there. I'm going to go off of your version. It says, we tend to always be feeling our own pulses and talking about ourselves and our moods. Forget yourself and your temporary troubles and ills for the moment. Fight in the army. What most of us need isn't a clinic or a nurse, but to listen to a sergeant major drilling this truth, commanding them, warning them, showing them what to do. So we all, you know, the the church is the hospital, right? You know, we need that great physician, amen? But uh, at the same time, we're in a battle and we need the sergeant major of the Holy Spirit to kind of, you know, soldier, (laughs) you know, like, it's game time. It's battle time. Like, let's get focused and get in the war. Um, and that was kind of the conversation that I had today. It was like, dude, put the armor on. <laughs> you know, like, what are you doing? We can't forget this. There's a reason the Lord had us in this on Sunday. There's a reason you and your wife were here. It's because you need to be putting the battle on and wage the good warfare. As Paul tells Timothy, fight the fight. Run the race. Get in it. Right? Time is too short and eternity is far too long uh, for us to just be lackadaisical in the battle uh, that we're in now. Uh, we war not according to the flesh, just as um, Balaam was on his way to curse the Israelites and the Lord didn't want him to go and he'd been warned not to go and he's riding his donkey and the donkey won't go and the donkey's, you know, stalling and sitting down or whatever and and finally, this, uh, the, the donkey crushes Balaam's leg into, a, into the wall. And Balaam was like, that's it. And he gets off and he's just about to kill this animal, kill and strike this donkey. Uh, when the donkey says, you know, what's the deal, man? What are you hitting me for? You know that I've never balked up on you like this. Uh, you know, don't you think that there's something going on here as you're being disobedient to the Lord? 
Uh, there's an angel in the path. There's something spiritual going on. You know, open your eyes, Balaam. Uh, though we walk according to the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. Uh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not of human strength or human might or human ingenuity uh, or human tact. It's not carnal stuff. So don't rely upon that. But they are mighty in God or mighty for God for pulling down uh, the strongholds. And the story is told that uh, in the area where Paul is from, uh, the Damascus region, uh, there was a stronghold that uh, the Cilicians were uh, standing against the Romans, uh, and the Romans uh, fought against the Cilicians until finally uh, they uh, decided to just sneak in, and you know whether it was with grappling hooks or something, they pulled down. Uh, they just like pulled over the stronghold, and perhaps it's thought that's what uh, Paul has in mind here with this pulling down of strongholds, and he has that fresh in his mind uh, within his lifetime. And it's exactly what happens in the spiritual realm. Uh, as arguments are cast down, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God uh, is, is brought down as well. Every thought is brought into captivity. And so, um, you know, this is our heritage as Christians. That just as in the Old Testament, it never was about a fleshly battle so too in the New Testament, among New Testament believers, it's not about a fleshly battle. We talked about it with um, Joshua and the strategy to conquer uh, Jericho back in the day, uh, but it's also true for Gideon. And look at uh, Judges 6, 12 through 16. So the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, uh, and just to set it up real quick, uh, you know, it's the dark ages of Israel Israel's been worshiping other gods and been doing what's right in their own sight. So the Lord has sent armies to discipline and chasten them. And so at this moment, the Midianites have been coming in with a number as that of the seashore. Uh, and it says that, uh, this is chapter 6, I think, of Judges, verse 12. Uh, it says that uh, the angel of the Lord, and it's believed that this is actually Jesus, an Old Testament period of Jesus, appears and said, <clears throat> The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, what's silly about this is that um, Gideon was actually hiding. He was in the threshing floor, um, hiding from the Midianites and hiding from the battles and the conflicts. And here the Lord appears and says, you know, hey, God's with you, you mighty man of valor. It's, you know, he's not seeing that Gideon is hiding uh, or he's choosing not to point that out. And so Gideon says to him, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? It's a very Habakkuk type saying. And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Okay, so uh, much like Habakkuk, there's just complaining. Like an angel of the Lord appears to him. He's hiding. He's a chicken. The Lord calls him a mighty man of valor. And he's like, oh, well, if God's with us, then why is this happening? Like, man, you watch your mouth when you talk to an angel of the Lord. And, uh, but the Lord turns to him and says, go in this might of yours. All that complaining and whining, you know, go in the, that might. Obviously, it's weakness. And in the weakness, you'll save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? 
And so he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord says to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Okay, so the Midianites as the sand of the seashore. Um, You got one guy hiding out, complaining. And the Lord uses that one guy to bring about the great victory. And you know the story of Gideon. Um, You know, there was some uh, 10,000 men, and the Lord trimmed down that army because uh, if it was a large army, even against millions, uh, 10,000 men would still get the glory. And so through various reasons, if someone's scared and wants to go home, that guy's allowed to go home. If, if uh, someone is, um, uh, you know, the way they lap the water uh, versus um, picking it up and drinking it, uh, that was a filter on which men stayed until finally there were only 300 guys against the Midianites that were as the sand of the seashore. And then uh, back, and then one chapter over, kind of tells the conclusion of the story, just to make it very quick. In Judges 17, 18, uh, says, When I blow the trumpet, and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands, And the trumpets in their right hand for blowing, and they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled to Beth Acacia toward Zerarah as far as the border of Abel Maloha. Uh, by Tabah, Tabith. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the spirit, oh, I'm sorry, that's, that's a, a different, that, I jumped ahead to a different judges passage. So our, our heritage is the heritage of Gideon, who was a weak guy, who was a complainer, and who had to come down to trusting the Lord to win the battle. How did the battle against the Midianites get won? By the Lord, the spirit of the Lord moving and setting every man in the enemy's army, their sword against each other. That's how the Lord works. Uh, It's how he works uh, in Judges chapter 15 with Samson. Uh, When the Philistines came shouting against Samson, the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that's burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. So, What was the attribution to uh, Samson's great victories and great strength? Uh, It was the spirit of the Lord coming upon him. That shows us that it's a spiritual battle. It's the same with David in 1 Samuel 17. When he goes against Goliath, David says to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin. Those are carnal weapons, aren't they? What's the weapon that David comes with? But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Try busting that one out the next time you get in a fight with your wife and your kids. (laughs) We're using all this argument against each other. We need to turn with the spirit of God and fight this battle. And go to prayer. 
and hit the deck and hit your knees. Try doing that when the temptations come. When the battles come. And it goes on to say there in 1 Samuel 17, Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Doesn't save with sword and spear. Doesn't save with carefully crafted sentences and human ingenuity. That's not how he saves. He saves by his spirit. The battle is the Lord's. He gives the victory. Just as in Zechariah 4. This is our heritage, Christians. He answers and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Serubabal, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. How are we going to do this? I mean, that is, that's something that, you know, uh, this, the, the leadership right now, we're just moving towards prayer with direction for the church and just decisions and finances. And, uh, you know, we're looking at a mountain before us and we're just going to need to c- commit it to the Lord in prayer and fasting and say, you know, this mountain is going to be removed. You know, and it's not, we're not in trouble or anything like that. This is just vision and direction and things like that. That if this is the way the Lord wants us to go, then we just, it's not by our might, it's not by our power, not by our ingenuity, not by our clever tactics, by the work of the Spirit. And that's always how it is, whether it's with discipleship, you know, or missions, or retreats, or building projects, or um, church discipline, or whatever it is. Oh, never by our might, not by our power, but by his spirit. And that's the heritage that we have. And that's what Paul says in Hebrews 11, or I'm sorry, it might not be Paul, uh, whoever the author is of Hebrews, when he says, Hebrews 11, uh, 32, and what more shall I say for the time would fail me to tell of, it didn't fail me tonight, obviously, <laughs> to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, casting down arguments. Or that, that's the next uh, 2 Corinthians verse. I jumped ahead, sorry. Uh, so notice it was through faith. Was faith part of the spiritual arsenal and weaponry that Ephesians 6 gives us? What part was it? The shield of faith, right? The shield of faith. It was through faith that, that victory was brought about. Um, just one se- scripture that I didn't get to get to on Sunday because of the lack of time was Daniel chapter 10. And uh, it's back there quite a ways, um, Jeremy. We, we've moved forward a bit. Um, Daniel 10, 2 through 6. It says, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks 
were fulfilled. So basically a three-week Daniel fast. And on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of upaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And then as we jump down, uh, verses 12 through 14. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I'd been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. Guys, Daniel is so incredible. We went through it a couple years ago, and you can always get it online or through our podcast. But one incredible thing is Daniel was a man of prayer. And in his times of prayer and fasting, and he would read Jeremiah, and he would understand why they were going into captivity because of their sin, and he would go towards mourning and repentance. And he didn't cop out and say, oh Lord, my nation is so wicked, and oh man, I repent for my nation. That was in there, but that wasn't the first thing in his prayer. The first thing was looking at number one. Oh Lord, I'm responsible. I'm a part of this nation in our sin against you. And I am mourning and I am grieving. And I believe that's chapter nine when he goes into that mourning and grieving period. Uh, In this case, he's mourning and grieving and he's fasting for three weeks. And on that 21st day that the angel shows up to him and gives him a vision dealing with Israel's history that is incredibly, incredibly prophetic. Like Alexander the Great, I believe it is, is mentioned like specifically in there in a way that kept Alexander the Great from destroying the temple in Jerusalem. So there's just incredible stuff in 7 and 9 and 10, uh, these incredible prophecies. Uh, and, but you'll notice that the Lord heard on the first day that you set yourself to fast and pray. And he dispatched me on that first day. But man, as I was on my way, and this is where chapter 10 verse 4 is really interesting of Second Corinthians, where it says, our battle is against principalities and powers in heavenly places and and there's dominions all right there's these war uh the warfare that's going on um is it verse uh it's chapter six i think verse four of ephesians so um and so we see something that's kind of interesting as we go to this election this year and as we you know are concerned about um world events that Persia had a prince over it, a demonic prince. Uh, There were also demonic kings over it. So when Paul speaks in, say, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, about these principalities and powers in heavenly places, he's literally speaking about powers and rulers in heavenly places that are demonic, that are angelic, that are dark, as well as light. And so you see... uh, Uh, Gabriel and Michael involved in 
uh, spiritual battle that takes place for three weeks until final, finally Michael had to come and, and relieve Gabriel in the battle so that Gabriel could come and speak this message concerning Israel's future. So keep that in mind as we go through day-to-day life, as we're praying over um, you know, our election this year, as we're praying over our country. Uh, first of all, man, personally repent. Because every one of us has, has had a part in our country becoming depraved as it is now. We've compromised. We've become lukewarm. We have um, had truth eroded in our hearts. We have become numb to immorality and debauchery in our culture rather than standing against it and speaking against it and repenting of it. It begins here. Repenting. If my people who call on my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will turn and I will heal their land, Second Chronicles 7.14 says. And so uh, let it begin with us individually as a church as we pray and fast and mourn and intercede. Just realize that there's a prince in power of uh, the United States of America and there are kings and authorities over the United States, over um, Germany, over you know, um, Syria right now. Over Iraq, just keep that in mind. Over Nepal, um, over uh, Haiti, keep those things in mind as we go uh, towards prayer. And let's just pray that the Lord will just dispatch his angels and cut down the wicked ones and push them back. Uh, this, is, this is so important for us as Christians. Um, with all that being said, uh, wanting to just continue through the chapter to some new ground tonight. Um, but just be reminded that uh, those weapons pull down strongholds, verse 4 of, of our text again tonight, chapter 10 of Second Corinthians. Pull down strongholds, cast down arguments. Are you in an argument right now? Go to prayer. Go to fasting. Uh, you know, move into putting the armor on. Um, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Um, bring in every thought into captivity. Paul would say in Romans 7, there's a battle going on in my mind. It wars against my members. Uh, it's a, a battle of the flesh that we need to move into Romans chapter 8 and, and walk in the Spirit and um, taking every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. In verse 6 of chapter 10, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Moving on into verse 7, 2 Corinthians 10, 7. Do you look at the things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. And so, um, and just a word towards caution against judging according to the flesh. Second Corinthians 5, I think it's 16, says that, um, you know, we don't look at any man according to the flesh anymore. You know, but the idea is that we see spirits and souls that need to be saved. Um, Jesus would say in John chapter 7, uh, verse 24, uh, do you... Uh, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgments. That is such a, an important factor of ministry. 
You know, we can't just, Paul talks about this all the time, you know, you don't just believe and receive and minister to the beautiful people and the wealthy people. And I mean, those could be some of the biggest wolves out there. You know, we don't judge according to the way that the world judges, but we judge with righteous judgment. Um, We don't judge according to outward appearance. Uh, Just as in uh, when David was being anointed as king, as a young, ruddy, good-looking boy in 1 Samuel chapter 16, says, uh, the Lord is speaking to Samuel. Don't look at David's appearance or his physical stature. Um, Or I'm sorry, he's speaking of David's brother at this point. Don't look at that. That's what you want to set him up as king because he's, he's strong and he's obviously a, a leader externally. But I've refused him for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man, outward, Lord, inward. Uh, and so that's what Paul's speaking of in the same thing. Just the Corinthians are tempted to look at people's uh, natural talents and abilities Uh, But the Lord looks farther than that into the heart of man. Uh, Verse 8, For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed. And so uh, he doesn't want, he's reluctant to boast about his authority, but, you know, he's fighting and he's doing battle for, um, the hearts of his people, uh, people that the Lord's given him. And so he's not ashamed in this boasting of a, of a ministry that God's given him. Um, in all of his strong language and strong words, uh, he wants it to be uh, for edification and not for destruction, for building up and not tearing down. Uh, chapter 13, verse 10, we looked at it earlier. You know, he... Um, doesn't want to use sharpness according to the authority that the Lord has given me. And that authority is for edification and not for destruction. So he says that again to them. And you know, that is any authority that God's put into our life, um, such as pastors and elders, uh, that authority, though there is authority and there is leadership and there is a function of ruling um, and submission, uh, it is to be christ led. It's to be servant leadership. It's not to be tyrannical. It's to be for edification, uh, for building up, and not for destruction or for tearing down. As uh, Peter's word to the elders in 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 5, he says, man, in your ministry, you got to be leading by example. Uh, You've got to be serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, and not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. It's a ministry of edification, not for destruction. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, 12 speaks of the spiritual gifts and that anything that we're zealous for as spiritual gifts are concerned, even uh, the leadership gifts that God's given us and wisdom and teaching, it's to be for the edification and the building up for the church that we would seek to excel. Um, And so with that, verse 9 says, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. He doesn't want to terrify them or destroy them with the letters. He wants to edify them with his letters. Verse 10, for his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. 
Uh, and so, you know, they, they remember his physical appearance, whether it was an infirmity that Galatians 4 would speak about. Uh, there was something about his physical presence, especially later on in his ministry. He would have uh, various forms of um, disease and illness, traveling up through mountains and uh, traveling by foot uh, during his third missionary journey that, um, man, it just caused him to be like, Physically, not someone that you'd want to follow. And, uh, and the, the enemies of his in Corinth were trying to use that to his disadvantage. Um, his bodily presence is weak and his speech is something to be detested. Verse 11, let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. Um, you know, he's talking about don't don't mess with the bull. <laughs> you know, um, there's this level of authority that he's speaking because uh, these are false apostles. These are false witnesses that he's dealing with here. And he's just warning them, when we come, we will be bold in our appearance, even if outwardly we're weak and frail. Verse 12, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. And notice there, there's people there that they're writing letters of recommendation for themselves. And they're measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves. And notice Paul gives some wisdom here that that is not wise. That's just a good word for us. You know, who, who are we comparing ourselves to and what is the standard? Um, it's not wisdom to compare yourself by yourself. It wasn't wisdom for these false apostles in Corinth to judge themselves based on the second, uh, or not the second Corinthians, but the Corinthians' spiritual immaturity. There wasn't wisdom in that. Um, we, however, verse 13, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. Now, the language that Paul uses here will strike, you know, familiarity into the readers in Corinth because of there were these, like, Olympic-style games there in Corinth. I believe it was um, the Isthmus Games or something like that. Uh, in the language that it's speaking of is just as on a track, uh, there are lines that, you know, the men and the women, the runners, they're supposed to stay within those lines. The limits of the sphere is the actual language that they would use in the Olympics back then. And so that's what Paul uses. He says, man, we are running within the lines that God has appointed us, essentially. And it's a sphere that does include the Corinthians. We are not out of bounds in fighting zealously for your hearts and your affection. Uh, in chapter 11, uh, we'll see that he is um, jealous for that affection, as verse 2 says in chapter 11. Uh, we'll get to that next week. Um, and so he says in verse 14, we're not out of bounds. We're not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend you for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. We started that church there. Go back and read Acts chapter 18 and you'll see how the church in Corinth started and by very incredible spirit filled ways being basically kicked out of the synagogue and going next door, um, to, uh, what was the guy's name? Crispus? Justice? Going to Justice's house and uh, having a home fellowship there and then uh, 
Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, came over and got saved, and a revival happens like next door to the synagogue. Um, and then that just spread and, and grew in the couple of years that Paul spent there ministering to them. Uh, you know, he has the history of bringing the gospel for the first time to this people group. So he's within his sphere to fight zealously for them. He's not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in another man's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. So Paul just is, is speaking very strongly that I am within my bounds here to, to speak so strong to you. Uh, I'm running within my lines. I'm fighting for you. I'm a father to you. Uh, I'm fighting for you with a godly jealousy like a husband would fight for his wife, uh, like a father would fight for his kids. Um, I'm not overextending myself. You are my people. I brought the gospel to you for the first time. And he says, and I hope that as this continues, our sphere of influence will spread from Corinth to the rest of the world. And guys, man, if you got a highlighter or whatever, a pen, man, circle and underline and put a star by. I use green highlighters in my phone Bible apps, uh, whenever the scriptures speak of the nations knowing the Lord and knowing Jesus, for some reason, green makes me think of uh, the globe, you know, and the, the green parts of the planet. And sorry, yellow parts, but <laughs> um, yellow means something else. But green to me speaks of the nations coming to know. And, uh, and you see that that's what he's wanting in verses 15 and 16. As the Corinthians' faith is increased, that sphere and those lines on the track will be made bigger, will be greatly enlarged by you. Verse 16, underline it, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. And not to boast in some other guy's work. That this would be a work that God does fresh and by the Spirit and through us. And guess what the men were doing that were stealing Paul's thunder in Corinth? They were the ones that were building upon another man's work. They were the ones that were stealing another man's work. What were, what's the language he used it? They were boasting in another man's sphere of accomplishment. Look at Romans 15, verses 20 and 21. He says, this is the end, you know, second to the last chapter in Romans. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. So the goal is preach the gospel where Jesus is. And isn't it amazing that there are still those people groups today where Christ has never been preached as it's written to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. And so that's our goal as a church is to go where he's never been named before, where they've never understood him uh, before. Um, you know, we have a lot of teammates in places like that, uh, like uh, the Footstool Project who are over there and they're asking us to come and to build on the foundation and to help build that foundation over there. And I woke up today and one of my first thoughts was the church in Goljung that we visited and just thinking of this little precious church there uh, that, that needs equipping and that needs some resources and that, you know, I just had on my heart that church and um, just heard back uh, this week that um, 
that uh, Mountain Child, anyways, doesn't have dates open this fall for us to go. And so we're going to be praying uh, over the next season here. Okay, Lord, so is it is it time for us to kind of branch out a little bit on our own? And, you know, we know how to get to Gold Jung. We know how to get to, to Cynthia, you know, and to kind of uh, begin uh, some fresh works there and go back to some of these places that people have heard the gospel for the first time through our ministries and to uh, strengthen those believers there and follow up with the gospel. And so uh, just something to be praying about. Um, but, uh, but there's definitely that ministry still available for us today uh, to go where uh, these regions, regions beyond Goljong. That was the message that I taught to them when we were there uh, was God wants you as a church here in Goljong to go out and to preach the gospel in the Himalayas that, that our sphere would increase beyond just Goljong. It would go up into the Himalayas uh, and that Christ would be preached there. Um, verse uh, 17, but he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And man, that's how you know when, when the boasting that Paul does, that is not a boasting in himself, but it's a boasting in the Lord and what the Lord is doing. It is something that will bring glory to the Lord versus the other guys who are boasting in themselves and glorying in themselves. Uh, the scriptures speak much of, of this, anything that we would glory in, it's because of the Lord. Jeremiah nine twenty three through 24, this is what the Lord says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. And so if we're going to brag about anything and boast about anything, let him who glories, glory in the Lord. And Paul had had to tell that to the Corinthians before in 1 Corinthians. He had to say the same thing to them. Uh, They were a church. They were a group that was constant. Their default was to always look at the flesh and glory in the flesh. And so Paul would always have to be telling them, Hey, it's nothing external of the flesh that we put our confidence in, our hope in. Paul even says, when I first came to you, I didn't come with wisdom of words and persuasive speech, but in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and in power. That way, when we would glory, we got nothing to glory in but the Lord. That way, when Gideon won the battle there, having a pot, a clay pot with a torch in it, and he smashes it and says, the Lord, sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And the, you know, the Midianites are sticking themselves with the sword. Who got the glory? Not Gideon and his piddly little 300-man army. Or when David went and took out Goliath with the sword and the spear, but all he had was uh, the name of the Lord. Who got the glory? It wasn't David. It was the Lord. You know, it's not by might. It's not by our power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. Verse 18, for not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. Man, just that's something just always to be used in our ministering. It's just never exalting ourselves, commending ourselves. That'll happen naturally as we're faithful to the Lord. The Lord will be the one that says, come and sit up at the top of the head of the table with me. You know, but don't commend yourselves. It's who the Lord commends. Look at, a good proverb, which is wisdom for young men. Chapter 
27, verse 2. Let another man praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. It's better for someone else to do the patting on the back. You don't do that for yourself. And we all know those people that have done that for themselves, don't we? And it is it leaves a bad taste in your mouth, uh, to say the least. Billy Graham once said um, to pastors and to ministers, don't touch, don't ever touch the gold, pastors. Don't ever touch the gals, pastors. And don't ever touch the glory. The three G's, don't touch them in ministry. You want to be safe. Man, the glory is the Lord's. The glory is his alone. The gold, the women in the ministry, they are the Lord's. It's not for you. I remember uh, being in high school and hearing, uh, I was at a retreat, and I specifically remember um, someone telling the story of, I think it was Charles Spurgeon, who says whenever someone comes up to him and says, that was a great sermon on Sunday, he would say, I know, the devil already told me that, <laughs> you know, because the devil wanted him to get all puffed up in himself because that, sh- that shelves you. That's something that will shelve you in ministry is taking the glory upon yourself. And it's always been a joke among pastor friends of mine, you know, it's like, uh, man, just don't even tell me, good job in the sermon. <laughs> the devil already, you know, uh, encouragement is actually um, very nice. But uh, I've just made it my goal to always be, uh, a mirror that just whoosh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I mean, you, if you know me, you know that like a message like Sunday that was obviously the Holy Spirit, it's just not Rory. I mean, just you're struggling and you're wrestling all weekend and you're just, you know, just short on time and you're feeling the pinch and you're feeling short on time and you're just on your face before the Lord on a Sunday morning like, Lord, if there's anything, anything, that, anything good that would come out of this, it's going to be you because I got nothing. And then the Lord just shows up in power, and we're all able to say, I know Rory. It's not Rory. It's not him. You know, the battle is not carnal, but the weaponry is mighty in God. And the words, when they come out, whether we're preaching or evangelizing or ministering or rebuking or exhorting or praying, it's all got to be of the Spirit and in the Spirit. Amen? Amen. So, Good, good, amen. I think I just said amen. Um, man, in our ministry, you guys, because I just believe that the Lord has his hand on you that have been coming. He's got a sphere like Paul's talking about for you guys in ministry. And be putting these things in your heart about external appearances and how the Lord values those. Boasting in yourself and how the Lord, you know, what the Lord does with that. And um, touching the glory. Man, it's the Lord's. The glory is the Lord's. And so um, we're going to go towards uh, prayer.